0: محمد محمد. Uh, we started a couple minutes late sorry about that we're just trying to figure stuff out uh, welcome brothers and sisters to another mizan live session we were we took a week or two off um, uh, before we were able to pick up where we left off, Alhamdulillah, tonight we're going to be uh, continuing with the book of Shia Imamia doctrine. We finished the uh, most of the chapters of the book, Alhamdulillah. We've gotten to the maybe the one of the last chapters, which has to do with life after death, and uh, this is article 103. Before this. What we went through previously was regarding the twelfth Imam in particular. There were different things that we talked about in that regard. I'm not going to go over those anymore. Uh, I'm just going to I'm just going to start with this last chapter that has to do with life after death. Okay, I'm just going to check real quick here to see if our video is working. I'm not sure if it is. inshallah it is, and my my system might be having trouble right now. All right. So the life after death, article number 103 talks about how all religions have this concept of life after death. Now he doesn't explain here, or he doesn't make it very clear, is he talking about all faiths, Abrahamic faiths, or is he talking about any faith out there? Because there's a difference here. Abrahamic faiths, yes, you will have Um, this idea and concept of life after death, but with others, um, no not necessarily, we'll have to see although um, it's hard for us to judge sometimes something might not be in the texts of a book uh, of a religion, in the scripture of the religion but the oral tradition of that religion might, you know, get that across, get that concept across right now, I'm not going to judge that, we're not going to get into that at all, it's irrelevant to what we're talking about all in all Ayatullah Subh'ani, he says in article number 103 that all religions, all faiths, Abrahamic faiths, divine faiths, the way he puts it, have this concept of uh, life after death. That's number one. And number two, he makes a good point, and I agree with him on this, um, you know, based on the amount of interaction I've had and engagement I've had with other scripture Um, because there was a time where I would study uh, Christianity and Judaism um, for, for university as well. And so the amount that I went into the books, you will find that the Qur'an out of all of these books speaks about life after death the most. You cannot probably find a page of the Qur'an that will not address this concept of, even in passing, of life after death and the hereafter. And so Ayatollah Subhani points that out, and he says that there's different names and titles given to this day, that is to come, the hereafter, the day of judgment, Yamul al the day of reckoning, Al-Yawm al-Akhir, the last day, the final day, Yamul al-Ba'ath, the day of resurrection, and us coming back to life, and so on. So he says we have lots of different names for it, the Qur'an speaks the most out of, uh, out of all other divine books, out of the divine religions out there, Qur'an speaks the most and addresses the most this topic. Okay. Article number 104 speaks of the reasons why we believe in a hereafter. The reasons why we believe there has to be a hereafter. This is super important. Because you cannot, in Islam at least, you cannot believe in God, you cannot believe in In the the oneness of God, and the power of God, and the wisdom of God, and all these things, but not believe in the hereafter. It's something, these two go together. And I'll explain that as we go through the reasoning and logic for this. He says, look, there's, I think he brings three reasons here. Yes, yeah. Two of them are very, very prominent, I would say, of the reasonings he brings for there to be an hereafter, a life after death. The last one, we'll get to it. I'm not exactly sure how his, what his argumentation is what he's trying to get to really but we'll go over that as well the first one the first argument he pro, pro, presents to show that yes there is life after death in article number 104 let me pull it up real quick he says that God is the absolute truth thus his acts are all true There's truth behind them. It's not like it's in vain or anything, okay? He's not wasting his time on things. When we say it's all truth, there's no falsehood in it. Thus his acts are all true, they are devoid of any kind of falsehood or vanity. Creating man without also bestowing upon him an immortal and meaningful life would be a vain and futile act. As the Quran says, This verse is very very clear. It says Do you think that Allah's that we created you Abathan in vain without a purpose? And that you won't be returned to us. In other words, God is all wise, right, brothers and sisters? God is all wise, all pow- powerful, all knowledgeable, all everything let's just say He creates us here in this life, for this life, to come onto this into this world, while if we die, there's gonna be nothing left of us, and we will be totally non-existent after that. If death equals total nothingness, that amounts to God doing things in vain, right? When things are gonna end, and nothing is gonna follow them, what's the point then? Think about it, brothers and sisters, It doesn't matter if we're going to be in this world for a thousand years, a hundred years, a million years, ten million years. It doesn't matter. If it's going to end with total destruction and nothingness in any form, right, and in any sense, right, total destruction. We're not going to exist at all in any way, in any sense. After this life, then that's going to be something that's in vain. This is something we need to think about, brothers and sisters, thinking about it will bring about our uh, affirmation of this, of this idea. We will accept it, in my opinion. That even if you live here for 10 million years, let's say there's a God, all-wise, all-powerful. He brings us to a life that we're going to go through, and we're gonna, after that we're going to leave that life, and there's nothing to come after. And we just turn into non-existence again. What was the point of bringing us here then? Either you have to bring us somewhere forever, or if you're going to take our life and it's going to be over after that, nothing then, that means that it was in vain. This is one of those things that I think requires reflection. And what's cool in this argument is what you get out of it is that the hereafter has to be something that is infinite, eternal, never ending. Or else, once again, it will be in vain. If anything is going to end, then it's creation will be in vain to begin with this is something to think about yes there are certain things out there whose creation is to serve the creation of other things yeah the Quran says I created everything on earth for you O mankind so yes the creation of certain things will be there for the other things that are creatures of God okay so let's say for example God created I don't know the trees and uh, livestock out there for our benefit right for the benefit of mankind at the end of the day true that cow is going to die that tree is going to die out it's not going to exist anymore so on and so forth but there has to be something that's going to come out of creation at large that will be eternal or else it will be in vain okay so this is something to really think about brothers and sisters i personally really really like this argument but it's an argument that one has to sit down and reflect over to, to actually you know accept and to understand, in my opinion, my very, very humble opinion. Okay. If that's one reason, there's another reason too that there should be an afterlife, a life after death, where we will be, all our actions will be reckoned for, and we will, everything will be calculated precisely. What is the reason for that? The justice of God, al adl Al-Ilahi. The justice of God demands that the pious and those who were non-righteous do not receive the same recompense in the hereafter. However, we we observe that the life of this world is such that perfect justice as regards the dispensing of reward and punishment is unrealizable. Think about it. If a person has taken the life of a hundred people, how are you going to do justice to that? You can take a person's life only once, right? Right? So there's 99 more lives that he has. this person is responsible for. How is that person going to be rewarded or punished for that? Or think of the flip sides. There's some good acts out there that one can do, that one does. In order to compensate for that, nothing in this world can make up for it. What the mother goes through, yes, for her child to be born safely and, healthily, and healthy. There's nothing in the world that can make up for that. And we have hadith for this as well that a person like, you know, told one of the masumin that I carry my mother or father for hajj like every year. Something along those lines. I don't remember the exact hadith. I carry my mother around. I do everything for her. You know, she can't walk, so that's why I give her. I put, I put her on my back if she needs to go anywhere, and so on and so forth. Where did the imam tell this person? Or where did the, that ma'asum tell this person? He said, look, uh, if you do all this for that for your mother, it won't make up for maybe one day of the labor she had to go through for you when she was pregnant with you, right? So the question is, okay, if we cannot compensate for that, no matter what we do, then there has to be a time that all of this will be compensated for. The rewards and the punishments for things we've done will be done in a justful, ma- in a justful uh, manner. That can only happen in a place where is outside of this realm of the dunya. This dunya has very a lot of limitations, and a lot of restrictions. Right? if someone wants to compensate and do me good for something good that I've done, I can only eat so many meals, I can only have so much fun before I get tired, before I get full, and so on and so forth. That's how this world is. It's not, it doesn't bear the capacity to reward us um, or punish us the way we deserve to be punished or rewarded. So if God is all just, and He's up there watching all these things happen in this world, through our own free will and the decisions we make and he's watching then he has to sometime make sure that we are rewarded or punished accordingly that can't happen in this life for sure so it has to happen somewhere else that somewhere else is the life to come that's what he's saying here in this argument so I'm going to continue reading here it says however we observe that the life of this world is such That perfect justice as regards the dispensing of reward and punishment is unrealizable. Perfect justice is is, is, is impossible. Since the destinies of the two groups of souls are so intertwined that they cannot be completely disentangled from each other. From another angle, there are certain acts, good and bad, whose very intensity calls for a recompense that goes beyond the scope of this lower world, this material world that we live in one only has to reflect on, for example, a person who is martyred after spending his entire life exerting himself to the utmost for the cause of the truth and another who kills innumerable pious souls. You cannot make up for the good of that person. You cannot punish this person enough because this person has taken the lives of so many people but he only has one life to give. How many times are you going to execute somebody? Right? It is clear then that a world hereafter is necessary for the realization of the perfect justice of God. For this absolute justice requires a realm of infinite possibility. Alright, so this is cool also. He puts his finger on something important here. He says, look, he's indirectly, Ayatollah Subhani is indirectly saying that it's not possible in this life. In other words, this life, this world has restrictions, not God. Right? God wants to do what justice dictates yet the place to do that is not here this place this where we live in on this world in this earth does not bear the capacity for perfect ultimate justice so what does that dictate that dictates that there's somewhere else that this is going to happen where god's hands are untied so to speak so to speak i'm speaking very metaphorically here that guides hands that god's hands are not tied and he can do whatever is, needs to be done for perfect justice to manifest. As the Holy Qur'an says, Kal Fil Kal The Qur'an says, Shall we treat those who believe and do good works as those who spread mischief and corruption in the earth? Or shall we treat the pious as the wicked? In other words, God is all just. He's not going to treat them, these people the same. Alright, well, God, I don't know, Hitler took a lot of lives, so how we don't see how he was punished, well, there's, there's got to be another place then. God on one hand, in the Qur'an promises that he's not going to treat them the same, but at the same time we see here that some of these worst, the biggest tyrants, they're not punished the way they deserved. Well then, if God is promising on one hand, and on the other hand we have people like this, then there must be a place where God is going to take Revenge, not for his self, but because of his justice. Alright. Third argument that he brings for the necessity of a hereafter to exist, a life after death to to happen. He brings a verse of the Qur'an And then he draws a conclusion from it. That's the part I kind of don't get exactly. Maybe I need to think about it more. He says there is a link between how lowly we were created from a sperm drop and the fact that we're going to have a life after death. He says these two, they're linked to each other. Once again, brothers and sisters, I tried to figure it out, I couldn't. Let me read. Maybe something will dawn upon me right now as I read it. Because man is created in this world from a minute particle, growing by degrees into a fully formed body. You know, the different stages in the womb of our mother, and even after that when we come into this life, as we grow in this world. Okay. Then a point is reached when the spirit is breathed into that frame. Okay, so he's still talking about when we're in the womb. A point is reached when the spirit is breathed into that frame, and the Qur'an having in view the perfection of this most excellent creation, refers to the creator as the best of creators. Okay, so he's saying that when the spirit is blown into that body that's in the womb of the mother, that's when Allah calls himself the best of creators. Fatābara, اللَّهُ ahsanul khaliqin. Okay, then man at death is transported from this to another world, which is the ultimate completion of his previous resting place. The Quran puts it like this. It says, Then we produced it as another production. Once we breathed the Spirit into it, it became another thing. So blessed be God, the best of creators. Then, verily, after that, you all surely will die. Then, verily, on the day of resurrection, you will be raised up. Okay? So, look, this is what he, this is this last sentence that I'm about to read to you, is his conclusion that he draws from this verse. He says this verse indicates that the renewal of life, getting another life after death, is a necessary is a is necessitated by creation of life from a very low and minute particle and substance, which is the sperm drop. He says the fact that we are created from such a lowly thing necessitates that there's life after death, and he cites this verse. Brothers and sisters, I tried my best to understand what he's trying to say here, I couldn't understand. How he gets to this result, I don't know. Maybe he's trying to say, look, God brings us into this life from the lowest and most insignificant things, right? And we are growing, 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 growing. Well, then death shouldn't be the time where this growth stops. There must be more growth going on after as well. And that equals life after death. Maybe he's trying to say something like this. I don't know. Anyway, what matters, brothers and sisters, those first two arguments are very, very strong arguments. You cannot believe in God and not believing in hereafter. It's not possible. Because God equals all justice. Right? And if you want all justice, you're not getting justice here in this world that we live in right now. So there must be somewhere where justice is delivered. And that is another life after this life that we're in. I mean, let's not even go to the tyrants. There's lots of people out there who might steal, yeah, and cheat their way into high uh, salaries. They don't deserve it, but they cheated their way in. They got there because of their connections. They got there because they're the daughter of the president, whatever it is. Whatever it is, lots of these types of people, they might not even harm anyone else, but they've stolen, they've cheated we notice that these people, they pass away without any hardship, you know, nothing crazy. And so the question begs to be answered. When? Well then, if there is a God, where will they be punished or rewarded for what they did? So in other words, you cannot, brothers and sisters, we have to understand this. If you believe in God, and your God is an all just God, you cannot believe, you cannot not believe in a hereafter, in in a life after this to come. You have to believe in that as well, or else God's justice has not manifested. Okay. Um, Moving on to Article 105. Now there are some people who throughout history would question this concept of life after death. Nowadays, atheists will have that. I mean, I remember seeing Richard Dawkins, watching him say this. He said that, yeah, there are some people out there that are very, very ill, we want to give them hope and so people out there who you know give counseling and so on when they sit down with these people with terminal illnesses they'll tell, they'll still they'll give them hope and tell them listen don't worry even if you're going to die there's a life to come it'll be better you know you'll be lighter you won't have all these problems and illnesses and then he kind of like you know a little laugh he makes and he's like that's a good thing to say to somebody <laughs> That's a good thing to say somebody who's about to die, but who are we kidding? It's all a lie. So like this is all false hope we're giving them. It's just a bandage approach to just give them a little bit of uh, tranquility before they die. That's what he says. So that's pretty uh, harsh. So yes, throughout history until today, there have been people who question the afterlife. The Qur'an addresses these people and what they're saying We have like about six verses here maybe. Three, four, five, five, six verses that address this idea of people who question the afterlife. Number one. It says sometimes people, their doubt is because of God's power. They're like, okay, we believe in God, but what afterlife? That requires a lot of power. It says there's a verse in the Quran, verse four of Surah Hud. It says that, in اللَّهِ مَرْجِعُكُمْ Yes, you will return to God. And this idea of it's going to require a lot of power for that to happen is refuted. Yes, it does require a lot of power, but God has that power. وَهُوَ كُلِّ شَيْءٍ تَدِيرٌ yeah, So one way to uh, convince people, those who see the Qur'an, who believed in the Qur'an maybe even, And they knew it was the word of God, but they wanted an excuse. They're like, okay, well, you know, that's going to be a hard task to revive everybody again. Answer is, well, God is all powerful. Number two, another way the Quran fights this idea of, oh, there's no life after death, is that, look, it reminds them, it reminds the people that, look, if God created you the first time, then he can create you again. As a matter of fact, the first time He created us, brothers and sisters, it's kind of like He created us from nothing. Now that we die and we decay, re- bring us back to life again, this should be easier than the first time He created us from nothing. Although there's a lot to say about that. Right, is it true to even say He created us from nothing even the first time? But at the end of the day, He created us a first time, creating us the second time will be easier than creating us the first time. All right. What is that verse? That verse is Surah Isra, verse 50. They'll tell you, O oh, Prophet, who's going to bring us back to life again? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding us? Tell them, the one who created you from nothing the first time can create you again. The verse doesn't even end with that, can create you again. That is something God leaves to the listener to conclude, because it's a very clear conclusion to draw. Yes, and God doesn't say it on purpose to show that this is very clear. The one who created you the first time is, has enough, has what it takes to create you again. So don't worry about that part. Instead of worrying about that, worry about fixing up your akhirah so that when you are brought back to life, when you are given a second life, you don't, you're not regretful for slacking off in the first one. Next verse. How Allah kind of proves that look, don't be surprised about there being an afterlife. I got this, don't worry. It says that we have verses in the Quran about how Allah, the same way He brings back to life all the dead trees and the dead plants and just how the earth is dead during the winter, and then all of a sudden in spring, everything like comes back to life again. It says the same way I can do that, I can bring you back to life. That Allah brings back to, from, from from the dead, uh, the ones who He wants to revive. Another set of verses puts its puts their finger, put they put their th- these verses put their finger on the fact that Allah is all knowledgeable and all wise and that is what allows him to create to bring you back to life again and give you another creation after your first creation <speaking in Hebrew> Verses like these that talk about God's knowledge when it's talking about you know, death or life after death and God's knowledge is brought up it's reminding the people that look it does require knowledge to bring people back to life again the same way it requires knowledge to create them from the beginning but understand that he has all the knowledge that it is required for such a task and finally here it says some people their problem is that they limit the human being to this material body right and that is the problem for them questioning the hereafter and life after death, okay? If, if they would look a little bit and think outside the box a little bit and not limit existence to whatever is in the material world, then it would be easier for them to accept. Because look, think about it brothers and sisters, if you are only this material body, okay? And when you die and you decay and you disintegrate, if God was to recreate you, you're another body now. You're not the same exact body, right? Because you've decayed and each particle of your body is is part of the body of something else now, of of another animal or of another organism, whatever it is. So, that means that my body is not the same body for sure. If we limit ourselves to the body only, that means we have not been given another life after death but rather we are somebody else totally what is the common denominator here between two bodies that have nothing to do with each other yes he says Ayatollah Subhani makes a good point here he says some people their problem is that they limit existence to the material life if you do that then yes there is no life after death because even if you're brought back to life again you're something else you're not the same thing anymore there is no common denominator here there is no common element between us, my first body and the second body. He says that's the problem with people, is that they limit it to that. But if you don't limit existence to just the material world, and you believe in the body having a soul, even if this soul is given a whole new body after the death of the first body, it doesn't matter because there is that common thing out there now which is the soul which makes you you and you coming back to life again and having another life versus if there was no soul you have two bodies that have nothing to do with each other one died another one is now created again there's no there's nothing there's no commonality here i hope i was able to get across what he's trying to say maybe we should read actually and a reason for that he says is the verse that says then look, when you die, it's not that you die, die. You are collected by Malakul Maut, the angel of death. That's what's happening to you. You are collected. The word tawafi does not mean annihilation, destruction, ceasing to exist, death. It doesn't mean that. Tawafī means collected. Well, what is collected by the angel of death when people die? Is like a chunk of them taken out of them all of a sudden that we don't, we can't see who's taking that chunk out of them, or is it that something is happening f- beyond our senses? Well, it's beyond our senses. It's the soul being collected, right? He he supports this idea with this verse of the Quran that when you die, it's not that you're dying. Malikul Maut is collecting from you something. What is he collecting? The soul. So even if another body is given to that soul, still that soul is coming back to life as if, and is given and is now going to have life after death. Yes. So that's the, the last set of verses that he brings here. He says, look at these verses that talk about tawafi, and Malakul maut collecting our souls that shows that it's not just the bodies so those people who were denying life after death because they are doing this little thing in their mind of okay when my body dies it decays and disintegrates and there's nothing left of it and so if I'm coming back to life again there's another body that I have okay this body is not that body so that's not me coming back to life again well yes if it was just you and your if you equals your body only then yeah you're right but these verses show that no, there's something else being collected, and that's being preserved, and being given life again, so to speak. There's a uh, some inconsistencies in the terms that I'm using right now, but I'm just trying to get the idea across. Philosophically speaking, you know, the terminology that I might not, or the terms that I might be using right now might not be accurate. I'm just doing this so that we get what his what he's trying to say here. Okay. After all of that and resurrection, and life after death, being proven. And of course there's many more books written on this concept, he's just keeping it concise again as usual. There is another question about resurrection itself. When we are resurrected, what is exactly being resurrected? Is resurrection a material one, or is it an immaterial one? That's the question. Article 106 addresses this issue. I'll say it in a nutshell, and then I'll read off of the book. He says, look, and it's interesting because the way he says it is different than what I've heard other philosophers say, that resurrection is both material and immaterial. Now his definition of immaterial resurrection will show us that, okay, he's not going against other philosophers, he just has a different way of explaining this. Because other philosophers, when they speak of resurrection, they're talking about resurrection of the bodies. Um, and what happens after that. Um, the bodies will be coming back. And mainstream sh- uh, Islam holds, based on verses of, many verses of the Qur'an, that when we say resurrection, it will be a material one. That means bodies will be given back to us. Philosophers here, they say, sh- Islamic philosophers, they say, look, If it was just us and philosophy, we would say that uh, resurrection has to be immaterial. But the verses of the Quran are too many to deny and too many to say that they're speaking figuratively. So, so we believe, philosophers say this, we believe that resurrection is also material, meaning that we're going to have actual bodies when we come back to life again. That's what they say. Ayatollah Subhani here, he says, no, it's immaterial and material both. Let's see what he means by that. Is he going against what other philosophers have said? It doesn't seem that's the case. He says, yes, it's material in a sense that we will have bodies. But at the same time, it'll be immaterial. Well, what do you mean by that? It'll be immaterial because there will be lots of pleasures also that will be... um, that people will be having that have nothing to do with the senses of the bodies that they have. Okay, what do you mean? Let's read. Article 106, he says, Both the Qur'an and the Hadith show that the resurrection is both of the body and the soul. Now, I don't know about this translation. It says in the Farsi that I'm looking at here, it seems that a better translation would be that it's material and immaterial. Or it has to do with body and has to do with soul. So yeah, it's not that bad of a translation after all. The purpose of bodily resurrection is that the body be raised up in another domain and once more be connected to a soul. So body and soul. In order that it might experience the delights or torments as reward or punishment that are of a perceptible, sensible nature, they can be sensed, these punishments and rewards can be sensed, and which cannot be experienced in the absence of a body and its sense faculties. There is one of these great ulama once, that he would say, look, if it's just the soul, you cannot torture the soul, you know, you can't torch it, for example. It always needs a body to sense pleasure and pain, which was interesting. Okay, anyway, the purpose of spiritual resurrection, so now we're talking about the immaterial one, is that in addition to the tangible rewards and punishments that are of a bodily nature, there is a whole series of rewards and punishments that are of a spiritual order, beyond the senses, that are in store for the righteous and the wicked, respectively. For the perception and assimilation of which the spirit has no need of a body or its faculties of sense perception. There are some things out there you don't need a body for, he says. He starts giving examples. He says, for example, Ridwanullah. What is Ridwan? Satisfaction of God. In the Qur'an, when it's speaking about the bounties of Jannah and the pleasures of the paradise, it talks about something called Ridwanun min Allah, right? And it says that this Ridwanun min Allah, this satisfaction of Allah, is higher than the other pleasures. Well, what does that even mean? The most pleasure I'll be taking is pleasure in Ridwanullah. What does that mean? The Quran doesn't open it up, and this is something that even if someone has the sharpest eyesight and the the most the strongest taste buds, yes and the and the, the the hearing abilities of 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 a leopard you know and the smelling of a shark they say sharks can smell things i don't know from so far out they can smell blood from so far out and even animals on 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 land there are some animals that can sense certain smells from very far away let's say you have all these senses there are still he says certain things that you will never be able to sense and those are spiritual pleasures, let's call it. One of them is Ridwanun Min Allah. So for example, Surah Tawbah verse 72 says, "Ridwanun Min Allahi Akbar. Satisfaction of God, Ridwan of God is higher than everything else. Well, what does that even mean? This is something that we have to work for, or else we'll never understand. al That is the great salvation. This Ridwanun Min Allah. All right? Or some, certain things like regret. Regret is something that you will feel on the Day of Judgment if you're a, a person that wasn't pious. And Warn them of the Day of Regret. When things are over, when the affair is over and like all the reckoning has been done and the Day of Judgment has begun, remind them of that day, warn them of that day which is called Yawmul Hasra, Day of Regret. These are things that will torture a person, but not physically. Yes, so that's what he's trying to say when he says it's a, there's also a spiritual resurrection. I think he's trying to say that resurrection will have a spiritual aspect to it as well. There's certain things that we cannot ever understand through our senses, that we cannot understand even if we live in this life for a million years. Yes, we understand what regret is, of course, but the regret of that day is something else, incomparable to the regret of this life. Or, for example, uh, what's it called? Uh, Ridwanullah. is something that you'll sense there, you'll understand there. We, want, we can't understand it here. So those are for the hereafter. Okay. Finally, before I end, there's one more, yes, one more article that I want to go through. And that is article number 107. Article 107 says, it speaks about verses of the Qur'an that have to do with the barzakh. First of all, what is barzakh? Barzakh is that time between our death after we die from this world and Resurrection Day starting. Yes, He talks about it a little bit here, nothing too uh, complicated to cover, I'm just going to read off of the book. There's some verses of the Qur'an that speak of the barzakh, he wants to say. Death is not the termination of life, but a transferal from one domain to another a domain which is permanent and everlasting, one in which the resurrection takes place. Between this world and the resurrection, there is an intermediary world, the Barzakh, which literally means barrier, in which man resides for a certain period after death. The real nature of life in the Barzakh is unclear to us, and the only data we have, the only information we have regarding this is what is given to us by the Quran and the Hadiths. Below we bring attention to bear upon the indications given by the Qur'an. So we have lots of hadith about Barzakh. Verses of the Qur'an we also have. Verses that mention it by name, we have one verse for that. But there are other verses that are talking about Barzakh, they just haven't named it. So the first one says, the first verse of course he brings is the one that actually mentions the word Barzakh in it. And is referring to that intermediary life between death and hereafter. It says, when death comes to an idolater, he says, My Lord, send me back. So that I may do right in that which I have left behind. The answer is given to this person. But nay, it is but a word that he utters. It's not just something that this person is saying, it's not going to happen. Who cares if they're asking for it? It's not going to happen. And before them is a barrier, barzakh, until the day when they are raised. So that time period is referred to as barzakh. So that's one verse that talks about this concept. Number two, regarding the martyrs, the shuhada, it is said, And call not those who are slain in the way of God dead. Nay, they are living only ye perceive not. You You don't see them, but they're alive. Well, where are they right now? They are in the Barzakh. Yes, brothers and sisters, this is a misconception. Some people have. Just because the Qur'an talks very highly about the shohada, just because the Qur'an says that they are with their Lord, taking pleasure and being sustained by their Lord, doesn't mean that now they're in the hereafter. No, no, they're in the Barzakh. But their Barzakh is something like Jannah and Paradise. In another verse, the life of these martyrs and the way of God is described. It says that they are joyous because of that which God hath bestowed upon them of his bounty, rejoicing for the sake of those who have not joined them but are left behind. So these martyrs, they're waiting for their friends to join them. And what are they telling them? That no fear shall come upon them, neither shall they grieve. And finally, one more verse he brings here is about the sinners. And then I'll end after this verse. Regarding the sinners, especially the people of Pharaoh, the pharaoh, we are told that before the day of resurrection, they are exposed each morning and evening to fire. Now there's a whole um, explanation on this, I'm not going to get into. Um, we have covered this in our Death and Barzakh course, those of you who've attended that, you know what I'm talking about. This verse has an explanation, he doesn't get into it, we don't need to, but it's talking about Barzakh once again. It says, The people, the Pharaoh and the people of the Pharaoh, when they died, the fire, they are being exposed to it day and night. And then it says, and on the day that they are resurrected, or here it says, when the hour settles, which means the hour of day of judgment, we will tell them, Enter Fir'aun and his, or the people of Fir'aun, into the the harshest of punishment. So as you can see here, they're being punished already, but it's say the hour hasn't set in yet. That shows that there's a middle time, which is referred to as Barzakh, um, that they're in right now, and they're being punished. So there's good that happens there, there's bad that happens there, based on people's actions. That's the Barzakh. Next week we'll continue with this discussion of life after death. And he goes into the questioning of the grave, yes, and how that is, how how widely accepted that is in Islam and all schools of thought in Islam, inshallah. So, once again, I remind all of you that these recordings, they're going to be uploaded, of course, video format, but there's also podcast format. Um, Apple, Google, Spotify, all of these podcast platforms will have these recordings as well that you can listen to at your convenience, inshallah. So, until next week. Keep us in your du'as. Wassalamu alaikum rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.